Frequency is for open-minded thinkers, for observers who are hopelessly curious, for experiencers of the mysterious, and for those who are passionate about perceiving the unknown. I will be sharing with you all my own exceptional experiences and other extraordinary constructs that exist in our reality. Welcome to Access Elysium. What's up and welcome to all of you beautiful souls out there. I am your host, Amber O'Dell, and this is the Access Elysium podcast. So I know last week I hinted at getting deeper into aliens, but guess what? (laughs) We're turning a corner and I've decided we're going to talk about something a little bit different today. So here's a question for you. Have you ever wanted to gain 360 degrees of perception of movement through vibrations in your head? Well, if so, you might want to become a cyborg. So coming up on the show today, we're going to dive into individuals that are considered transhumans, the difference between transhumanism and eugenics, and some of the biggest fears that people have about a post-transhumanism world. So what the fuck is transhumanism? I have been wanting to dig into this one deeper for quite some time. I mean, there's so much cool shit involved in this and scary stuff. I did an article about this years ago, and I feel like I was just kind of scratching the surface then of what it was about. And now I really want to get into what it's going to do to our society and our species and our planet. Like what is going to happen, not just now, but 10, 20, 50, 100,000 years from now when it comes to transhumanism. And so what is transhumanism? No, we're not talking about transsexual people. We're talking about transhumans. So what that means is it's kind of a belief or a theory that the human race can evolve beyond its current physical and mental limitations, especially by means of science and technology. So we're talking like cyborgs <laughs> is what I kind of go to. It's and, and the term transhumanism is an intermediary form. It's like this middleman form between humans and posthumans. So it's like the missing link from human to post-human transhumanism. <laughs> this word. Okay, so it resembles a human in most respects who has powers beyond those of standard humans. So superhumans, like superhero shit, like we could be Superman and Batman and Spider-Man, like all the Marvel characters is within our grasp. We can really become that. Um, What is a transhuman person? So in other words, this being that resembles a human in most respects, but has special powers and abilities beyond those of standard humans. So these abilities might be, I don't know, improved intelligence, awareness, strength, uh, durability, all the superpower shit. You know what I mean? So uh, this sounds 
awesome so far. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. But based on the idea that biological evolution that will eventually be overtaken by advances in genetic and wearable and implantable technologies that artificially expedite the evolutionary process. So we don't have to wait on mother nature. Okay. First of all, I am torn because I'm one of those very natural types of people. I like to think that nature knows best. It just does. We right now are nowhere near the intelligence of nature. A little human, even like all the little humans, that all billion, wait, eight billion of us can get together and still not be as smart as Mother Nature. Mother Nature is an energy force so large, it took over this planet. Okay, we... (laughs) We pale in comparison so far, but who's to say that with new technologies through genetics and uh, science that we could not come as intelligent as Mother Nature? I know that's really, (laughs) really gutsy to say, but where did Mother Nature come from? She had to evolve from somewhere. She had to be something small and learn how to be as big as she is. She didn't get to where she is from nothing. And we're not going to get to where we will be 10, 100,000 years from now from nothing either. So we got a lot of work to do. (laughs) But people who think that they, not think, people who follow the transhumanist um, way of life have to also examine the potential dangers of these technologies and their ethical like bullshit because it can get into pretty sticky waters here man like I I want to be for it even though I'm the natural per- I went to a birthing center to have my children fuck hospitals I don't even like hospitals it's I don't know like I'm really glad we have them because if you've got some kind of trauma yeah hospital all the way. But other than that, I try to be very natural. But the older I get, and the more this body keeps aging and and not doing what I want it to, I would totally consider becoming a superhero (laughs) instead. (laughs) Why not? Let's see. What are our options here? Well, let's try and figure that out. All right. So let's just say that they put me in charge (laughs) of creating a transhuman. And here is what I think that I would definitely want to go for. And I'm just going to start with uh, first base with my own body. All right. I'm going to create a nanotechnology that can go in to my cellular level and heal and make sure that all of my cells can regenerate to their best potential so that my body is always in a state of health. I'm tired as fucking back (laughs) hurts all the time shit's all fucked up like I hope that I'm not in a wheelchair someday because if I get to that point fuck yeah sign me up I am gonna become transhuman people fuck it nope pain will drive you to that too pain sucks um I know we have to have pain receptors so that we can recognize when we have issues with our bodies So we're not trying to run full force on broken leg. I get it. But the pain that comes along with having a jacked up back is excruciating. Um, 
even like pain management that they tried to put me on years ago. Ugh, I didn't like all those pills. They just, uh, I had to be like, no, I'm just going to suffer through it, I guess. So transhuman body would heal itself so that I no longer had back issues. Boom. Awesome. That's what I'm doing. Number one. Uh, number two, see, here's where I really would like to fly in this reality and not just the other ones that I hang out in, in my dreams. So I would then make sure that my own magnetic field could create its own, um, bubble against gravity. And that way I could easily manipulate myself against and with gravity and just move myself around however I wanted to. Kind of like, uh, what's his name on X-Men? <laughs> uh, Magneto, yeah, where he can, you know, manipulate things based on his own polarity. That would totally be on my list. Uh, oh, if we're going to X-Men, I'm also going to have a lot of Storm's qualities. That's my girl. I was actually not very happy that it was Halle Berry <laughs> when it first came out. Because I had X-Men comic books when I was younger, uh, and Halle Berry is not my fucking choice. I was, what? Like, Storm was this long hair, long white hair, very muscular, voluptuous. She was almost kind of a dark but twisted, uh, just, I loved her. <laughs> she was not this pretty um, soft looking Halle Berry. I know Halle Berry's played a bunch of tough stuff in her movies, but now I feel like uh, Storm was a little more edgy <laughs> than Halle Berry. Okay, squirrel, back to it. But I do want to connect with Mother Nature. I mean, how smart is that to just connect with another form that's already bigger and grander than you so that you could work together and then you can manipulate the natural energies that are around you. Mm -hmm. Yep. Those are going on my list. Those are like super human after the whole back one. All right. So let's just do some cyborgy ones. I would definitely want to be able to see all the light spectrums, not just the one that uses my own eyeballs, I want to see all the light spectrum. This is where you're going to get into being able to see different entities, beings, um, possibly multiple dimensions that we just can't see with our own human eyes. I feel like that would really give you the opportunity to communicate and work with the other energies around you as well. You're just, just being able to see all the different energy forms. Is high on my list, apparently. <laughs> um, I still need a portal. Maybe we can figure out how to do portals. That's not really transhumanism. <laughs> but I'm going to throw it out there. If anybody has one I can borrow, that'd be great. But I also found on this website, The Print, uh, they did this Cyborgs Roam Among Us, uh, transhuman, transhuman, this fucking word, transhuman was going to run for president apparently in 2020. Missed that one. <laughs> but they had a great article that talked about this and it gets into any objects, extensions, or technologies that enhance human capabilities can be classified as augmentations. Here we go. 
augmentations is one of the big parts of transhumanism. You can put all kinds of things in your body, on your body, um, connected to your body, connected somewhere else, connected to your body. These are the things that they're going to start to really snowball this process of transhumanism, I feel like. So a wooden leg that helps you walk. Uh, That's an augmentation. Armor that protects you when you're in battle. Um, These are examples of augmentations. They've been happening forever. Humans have used augmentations like glasses and shoes, and they've overcome all kinds of physical disabilities. I mean, it's gotten to the point where people who have disabilities and have had augmentations that want to participate in certain sports are now considered way better in performance than those without the augmentations. That's how far they're taking us. And I can only imagine where this is going to go. So now that we are into augmentation, this next step, not just like putting on a prosthetic or something that helps to stabilize the human body, we're talking about things and techniques that make human machine integration and human genetic engineering where we are combining the two to become one, where it's now a brand new uh, whole. So what I mean by that is once you are colorblind, let's just say, and now there is a certain type of tech that gives you the ability to see colors in different spectrums, it's not just now seeing colors, there's a whole nother dimension of colors that you're seeing that most people are not. And it's integrated through machine computers technology. It's like (laughs) taking it to a whole nother level. So what are some pros and cons to all of this? This is such fine line shit right here. Okay, so some pros. There's more equality. Uh, It helps those with disabilities. Leveling out social classes and race and ethnicity differences. And it also enhances those in poverty-stricken areas that lack the resources uh, that can be less impacted. Um, But the cons to that is extending human life could put a greater strain on like healthcare, especially in poorer countries that already lack basic health services. There could actually be a bigger gap now uh, after seeing that you can become superhuman if you have enough money. Money. Ugh, money is always the root of all the evils that happen that leave out just way too much of our society, those people would be left behind exponentially. Uh, But more pros would be there's more efficiency with quicker working, potential for humans not to need to work all together. I mean, I kind of like that. I don't mind working. I'm a hard worker. But when you've got any kind of disability or injured body, man, working does such a toll on your body And there's almost nothing you can do other than suffer through it. So if there's no need to do any of that hard labor, you're already using AI to improve your lives. You have more potential to become a higher thinking society already. But the cons of some of that would be like higher unemployment. I don't know. That doesn't 
who cares? People want to act like, oh, no, don't take away our new jobs. I use this example all the time. I'm sure that the candlestick makers were fucking pissed and acting like all of the electricity and the new light bulbs were going to come through and take away all their jobs and they weren't going to have job security anymore. Yeah, it's a hard transition when you're moving to a higher technology but it's needed. I I mean, same thing with all the horse and buggy people probably didn't like all the cars coming through, they were going to lose their jobs as being somebody who transported people or escorted people. But that's part of shedding what you don't need anymore versus what's going to be easier, not easier, but make your life more fulfilled without the need for that. So another pro would be less of a need or reliance on pharmaceuticals. Amen. Can I get a hallelujah? Uh, We need a lot more of that. We need long-term economic savings and being proactive with an approach to our health. And if this helps us from being completely just reliant on pharmaceuticals, win, win, major pro. The con to that would be it would enhance a class divide and a big impact on economy due to, again, a lack of work and jobs. People are so concerned that if they don't have a job or work to do, that we're not going to be a productive society. It's only that way because that's how we produce our money. If we had less of a capitalist, although I, I like the opportunity that capitalism brings, that doesn't mean our society can't be proactive in being inventive in ways that would help our society. We don't have to always have work to do. Somebody's creativity, so put it like this, if I did not have to work three or four jobs like I do to produce all the money that I need just to have a house and pay for all my bills, I would then be able to focus on things that I enjoy doing and that I could do to help improve my life and the lives around me. Imagine the creativity that could happen when people no longer had to work for their survival. So another pro, longer life expectancy. Yay! Um, as long as I'm all down for being what, four, five, six hundred years old, as long as I still have my mind intact. <laughs> I say that I'm a little crazy, but the mind that I have now, I love. If I can still have that intact and my health and use my body in the way it's supposed to be used for five, six hundred years, I'm down. You get to spend more time with loved ones, you know, in better health, and you wouldn't have to rush through life. You could slow down and enjoy it. Ugh, sounds amazing. Con to that, uh, you might not be particularly sustainable. Uh, with resources and our environment and the way we impact the earth if we live to be longer. Now, I don't know. This is how I view that too. So we're not impacting the earth as much if we die at a younger age. Mm, I don't see that as long as we're still reproducing and our population is growing, our impact isn't changing at all based on our life expectancy, unless you want to think in terms of how 
older generations don't like to change things. They don't like change. They want things to stay the same. So they're not as adaptive to new situations and and to be able to evolve into a newer generation's society. And that's like all the people that run our country. I don't feel like you should be over the age of 65 and running shit. You are fucking out of touch. You are an old person who does not have a clue as to what my 14 and my 18 year old is going through and what 20 year olds and 30 year olds are trying to become in their lives. We're just, yeah, but then again, if you're going to be six, seven, 800 years old, you've got to be way better at evolving into new societal you know situations we've got to become a species that evolves more fluid through things I know that since we are younger in our lifespans than a lot of things that have happened on this planet we don't see the extended outcome of a lot of things that happen to this planet or within our society. But when you take a step back and you look at historical events that have shown how much we've changed in just a short amount of time, we have just got to get better at that so that if we were to expand on our life expectancy, we have a much better grasp on how to transition into older and more wiser ways. And that right there is another pro. You have a greater knowledge base. You keep great thinkers and minds around for longer. I mean, if Tesla and and Einstein, I know there's so many things behind the scenes on all these geniuses, but if these kinds of people, the people that are trying to make this world a better place, have a chance to be here for longer and have a greater impact, if those great minds only had five years to come up with these amazing uh, just opportunities in technology and physics and just imagine what they could do with another hundred years I can't even fathom it that would be a great pro but then the con is it could be a step towards eugenics all right what in the fuck is eugenics Eugenics is a set of beliefs and practices that aim to improve the genetic quality of a human population. So it's a fancy word to say we want to make the whole of our human population better, which on the surface sounds great. Yeah, I'm all for it. But historically, it's done by excluding people in groups judged to be inferior or promoting those judged to be superior. So in recent years, the term has seen a revival in bioethical discussions on the usages of new technologies that should they be called eugenics or not. So eugenics was developed largely by Sir Francis Galton as a method of improving the human race, and eugenics was increasingly discredited as unscientific and racially biased during the 20th century, especially after the adoption of it by uh, those Nazis in order to justify their treatment of Jews, uh, disabled people, and other minority groups. So somehow someone is determining who is the inferior and who is the superior population within our human species. That's getting into murky waters here. Who is the person 
who is allowed to determine that? I don't feel like they did a good job. So while eugenics principles have been practiced as early as ancient Greece, the contemporary history of eugenics began in the late 19th century when a popular movement emerged in the United Kingdom, and then it spread to many countries, including the United States, Canada, Australia, and most European countries. In this period, people from across the political spectrum, they just... They wanted to go with this eugenic idea, uh, but consequently, most countries that adopted it intended to improve the quality of their population genetic stock, but both positive and not so positive things started to happen. You had to be particularly fit to reproduce, and the negative measures, such as marriage prohibitions and forced sterilizations of people, were put on those who were deemed unfit for reproduction. Who is making these decisions? So those deemed unfit uh, could often include people with mental or physical disabilities, people who scored low in IQ tests, criminals and deviants, and members of disfavored minority groups were automatically put into the unfit category and cut off from the rest of the population. Oh, that's not good. Um, that's why it's totally associated with Nazi Germany and the Holocaust. And that is exactly what they were trying to do there was to create this superhuman species based on who was most fit to reproduce and those who were not were to be killed. I don't feel like this is where transhumanism is going, but man, I can see where there's going to be a huge gap in those who decide to stay natural in their human existence and those who decide to take the leap of faith into transhumanism. So how do both of those kinds of humans interact and exist within one society. I'm not saying one society like one world dominated new world order. I'm saying how are these people going to be okay with interacting and coexisting in the same space where they're at? I think it could be pretty cool, but I can see how this could be (laughs) the difference between neanderthals and homo sapiens eventually neanderthals were killed off because they were the inferior species now they were only inferior because of their capabilities and their cognitive abilities now that's exactly what's going to happen in the difference between a standard air quote human and a transhuman or post-human could they even be called humans afterwards? I mean, it's still human. It's not like it's not human. It's just, you know, upgraded human. Ugh, this is getting sticky. So the big difference between transhumanism and eugenics is that transhumanism does not explicitly encourage controlled human breeding nor the propagation of a particular race. It's kind of on the plate for all humans as long as we keep it that way if some nasty asshole wants to get in charge there's always the opportunity for somebody to keep a specific type of race or uh, you know 
societal level of person to not be able to have access to this. That is probably the most scary part to me is those who want access should have it. And those who don't should not. I mean, if we get back to augmentations, humans have used these forever, like glasses. We have reading glasses to improve our eyesight. You know, we have laser surgery now that's one step beyond that to improve our eyesight. Without it, most of our population couldn't see or read shit. No more driving. This is a good thing. This is a way to improve on your life, to give you a better existence. Uh, any kind of footwear or obviously prosthetics, that's going to come with challenges for somebody to be able to be mobile better. Okay, vaccinations are augmentations too. Since they're supposed to improve immunity and prevent diseases that were fatal a century ago. And yet a lot needs to be done with vaccinations. Not even going down that road right now because uh -uh, Pandora's box will open with that one. But if you're willing to inject yourself with something that is supposed to improve your existence and fight off these viruses, mm, it's an augmentation. It is. That's exactly what that is. Public health is a feature that can benefit significantly from augmentations. I mean, humanity is improving itself exponentially all the time. In August 2018, a report by research uh, firm Gartner noted that over the next decade, humanity will begin its transhuman error. Biology can then be hacked. And depending on your lifestyle, your interests and your health needs, you can bedazzle yourself based on whatever you're interested in in the upcoming years. I mean, the world's first cyborgs are already here and they're likely to increase in number given the improvements uh, in cybernetic devices and communication technologies. This is where the fun stuff begins. So just think of, you know, your smartphone. At one point in time, the smartphone was only affordable for rich people. And then it was commercialized and became widespread. And now it has an entire industry based around it. And everything is modified completely off of your cell phones. Even continued professions are built just off of our smartphones and the AI programs that are inside them, the software programs. I mean, a person can still choose not to get a smartphone if they don't want to, but they'll be at risk for not being able to access a whole nother world, a whole other host of services, interactions, you know, creative media. I mean, you can decide if you do not want to evolve in that world, but you could be I don't know if some people would think somebody's inferior because they don't have a phone. Half the time, I wish I don't have a phone. <laughs> I wish that I could go back to the 90s where all I had was a pager that I ignored and didn't respond to either. <laughs> so, sorry, mom, dad. Yeah, but I mean, smartphones is a, a prime example of how 
technology has taken on a whole nother level of understanding. I mean, all of our decisions, our purchases, our commutes, our employment, our health, our entertainment, daily tasks are based on complex analytics that are inside of this machine called a smartphone. I mean, we are already integrated to the human machine interaction. It's on our armbands, it's in our smartwatches, it's in our homes, it takes care of our air conditioner and our heaters, our light bulbs. Everything has been, it's like a smart mechanical augmentation to the things that you have around you. So we are constantly augmenting our life with technologies. This is just that moment in time where it's, I feel like it's gonna be similar to us kids that grew up in the 80s, 70s, 80s. We know what it's like post-internet and pre-internet. I mean, we are in that sweet spot where I loved when the internet was not here. It was a whole nother world. You could get lost in experiences and not be found so that you could actually immerse yourself into an experience. But now that the internet is here, I don't know what I would do without it. Also, I mean, look at what I'm doing right now. I could not be podcasting if it wasn't for the internet. So yeah, I'm glad I had both of those experiences. I do not want to go on without the internet. Let me be clear. I loved pre-internet days, but no, I like my internet. (laughs) So prime example of maybe where we're headed in the next few decades. This could be that moment where we remember what it was like before transhumans and after transhumans. It's crazy. So let's get into some cyborg people that exist right now that we can kind of get a little bit better understanding of what the fuck it means to become transhuman. So I feel like number one should be Neil Harbison. Harbison. So sorry, Neil. Neil Harbison. He is a British cyborg artist and is famous for his antenna. Uh Uh, He has an antenna that is implanted in his skull and allows him to hear colors, which completely opens up an entirely new perception in itself. This is what I'm talking about. What if we're creating entirely new senses that we would have never understood before. Let's just talk colors here. Okay, if you could never see colors, all you saw was black and white and a gray spectrum. If I am telling you how these beautiful blue skies and these red birds and these pink flowers, you <laughs> you have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. You can't even try to relate. That concept doesn't exist in your reality. That is what transhumanism could do for us. Open these doors for all these new senses that we had no idea that we didn't even have the concept for before. I I love this part. Okay, so let's let's get into Neil a little bit here. So he's kind of a weird dude. Um, he was he I think he was the first recognized cyborg in the world. It is on his passport that he is a cyborg. So he has this antenna that is attached to the base of his skull, and he had to have all of these 
uh, documentations to make sure that when he's going somewhere, they're not going to tell him to take this antenna off because uh, guess what? It doesn't come off. He has to have complete uh, control over this antenna and his body as one so that people don't try to remove it from him or force him to remove it because it would then strip away his senses that his mind and his computer antenna have now intertwined to create for him. It would be a very sad thing if somebody did this to him at this point. But he, a little bit more about him, he's um, an artist born with me. Acromatopsis. <laughs> Fucking extreme color blindness, whatever that word is. And he said he could only see in black and white. This is what I'm talking about. Okay, at first he received his specialized electronic eye, his eyeborg is what they call it, to be able to render perceived colors as sounds on the musical scale. So it's combining these two different senses like synesthesia for him to at least be able to recognize colors. So he is capable of experiencing colors beyond the scope of normal human perception. He said that Amy Winehouse is red and pink while ringtones are green. So when he hears sounds, he can then see colors coming off of them. Hmm, this is so cool. Um, he's been living as a cyborg for, I don't even know, over a decade uh, since 2007, maybe. But he believes that humans have a duty to use technology to transcend themselves and that it will happen in the future. It'll start with the third eye on the back of the head or an implanted sensor indicating whether you are in a position to where you can sense everything around you. So that's kind of cool. I mean, I'll, I'll take that. That's what I'm talking about. Like, I want to be able to pick up on more senses and all the energies around us. He also co-founded the Cyborg Foundation, which is an international organization that defends cyborg rights. Here we go. It promotes cyborg art and supports people who want to become cyborgs. So he did this in 2010, and then in 2017, he co-founded the Transspecies Society, and it's an association that gives voice to people with non-human identities, raises awareness of the challenges transspecies face, advocates for the freedom of self-design, and offers the development of new senses and organs in the community. <laughs> that was a lot, mouthful, but I like a lot of that. Now, I know people will freak the fuck out. When they think about uh, a trans species society, that way they can be recognized as something different than a human. I mean, you people want to get pissed off and say, no, this is wrong. Uh, honestly, this is needed. If you are going to create uh, new senses and developments in the human capabilities, you have to be able to have rights for those individuals as well. I mean, you you can't just strip them of their new senses. It's like somebody saying, oh, you don't deserve to hear anymore. We're going to take that sense away from you. Oh, you shouldn't be able to feel anything. We're going to deaden all your um, receptors in your body so that you can't feel. No, you can't do that to somebody. You can't regress them once they've already developed new senses. So I think it's probably smart for them to have rights to make sure that they don't try to take them apart and shun them away. I don't know how, I mean, this dude probably looks like, he looks kind of goofy <laughs> with this little antenna. 
maybe like if this was 10 years ago let's hope that the upgrades on all this stuff isn't like fucking smartphones where you have to keep tossing them and get a new one like maybe they're a little smarter about how to upgrade it maybe it doesn't have like an antenna anymore i don't know i really haven't seen any uh, uh, recent photos of this guy but I don't know. There's another weird thing that I kind of realized is I went to the cyborgfoundation.com website, okay? And it's a platform for the research, development, and promotion of projects related to the creation of new senses and perceptions by applying technology to the body. Your basic description of transhumanism. And then they say their mission, which is to help people become cyborgs and defend their rights, uh... And then you kind of look through it more and yeah, it sounds cool. Like they came together and they have actual civil rights um, researchers working for them. Um, they've tried to define a defense for cyborg civil liberties uh, and sanctity of cyborg bodies. That way they show that, you know, they have ownership over all the technology that's in their body and nobody is allowed to do anything with that. They license it. They control their augmentations. Um, they have an anemone over all of this stuff. Yeah, basic rights of a cyborg. Cool. But the more I dig on there, there is nothing on there to contact anybody. <laughs> there's no email. There's no contact us. There's no where we're going to be, what we're doing. It was very like, I don't know. I, I kind of like this because I'm that person that wants to find a little hidden gem and have to go down the rabbit hole to figure out what's going on. So you may, might have to dig a little bit more, but I find it kind of strange that if you're a foundation that is a platform for people to become cyborgs. There's nowhere for somebody to contact them and say, I want to be a cyborg. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know how to do that. If you want to help me, what the fuck, bruh? Leave me a, a email address or <laughs> something. I don't know. Your next event that's going on. I don't know. Maybe I'm looking at the wrong yeah, website. No, I wasn't kind of strange I kind of like it well we got more cyborgs for you though so the medicalfuturist.com did a uh an article on the world's most famous real life cyborgs so there's some really cool shit in here this gets wild uh Dr. Kevin Warwick has been known as Captain Cyborg and teaches at the University of Reading as a cybernetics professor. There's a University of Reading? <laughs> Where is this? That's different. Uh, Warwick has experimented with different electronic implants since 1998, such as installing a microchip in his arm, which lets him operate lights, heaters, or computers remotely. Mm, cool. You could just completely... <laughs> You don't, you don't need a, you don't need the clapper anymore when you're in bed and you're like, fuck, left the light on. You can just do it from your arm. <laughs> you, this is kind of cool. Heaters. So you can crank the heat up and down. So I'm just saying any kind of electronic that has maybe Wi-Fi, he could tap into with his arm. This is badass. So at this point in time, 
Maybe that includes his phone, all his social media. How is this information flowing? That's what I want to know. So as dedicated as he is, Warwick also gave an implant to his wife so that when someone grasped her hand, the man would be able to experience the same sensation in his. It is jaw-dropping and awkwardly scary at the same time. That's fun. So is he like, um, is this like a cuckold fetish where he wants to feel his wife get fucked? That's kind of crazy. I mean, it's, it's cool, but I wonder what would drive him to want to have that kind of sensation. But he's the founder of a project cyborg using himself as a guinea pig on a mission to become the world's most complete cyborg. Beyond his work on himself, he's involved in AI research. Gosh, I would hope so at this point if he's got it in his arm. Uh, he faced serious criticism in 2014 over claims that the supercomputer called Eugene Gustman passed the milestone Turing test for artificial intelligence. So... It passed the milestone Turing test. What is that? Oh, I gotta look. Okay, this is where Google gets a little, hmm. Okay, so we just learned that this computer passed the Turing test. So I should not be using Google, apparently. <laughs> but I need to duck, duck, go, I know, whatever. So I typed in the Turing test, and it's a so-called test um, it's a three-person game in which a computer uses written communication to try a f and fool a human interrogator into thinking that it's another human person. And it says here, despite major advances in artificial intelligence, no computer has ever passed the Turing test. Whatever, Google. This and it's dated March of 2022 this year. Google is saying that. Um, and yeah, this dude did it like in 2014. So fuck off. But anyways, okay. A Turing test is just the test that they have come up with for you to try and figure out if something is an actual human that you're interacting with or if it is an AI software program or some other kind of um, computerized sentient being. That's what I like to call it. Cause I honestly think it's possible. Why not? I mean, fuck, we are sentient beings in meat bags. Why can't you be a sentient being in an electronic, uh, computer? I mean, pff, I, I don't know why not. All right. So Dr. Kevin Warwick, super cool and creepy. Uh, next on the list is Jesse Sullivan. Sullivan worked as an electrical lineman when in May 2001, he suffered a life-threatening accident. He was electrocuted so severely that both of his arms needed to be amputated. Ugh, that's awful. This, however, led him to become the world's first bionic man. The Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago offered him to replace his arms with robotic prosthetics. That's what the fuck I'm talking about. Which opportunity he gladly took, so would I. He was fitted with bionic limb, connected through a nerve muscle grafting. Super cool. Uh, his He has control over his limb with his mind. This is awesome. When he thinks about lifting an arm, for example, certain muscles in his chest contract instead of muscles in his original arm. And then the prosthetic replacement interprets that contraction as an instruction to move in a certain way. All these things are still connected. So they're, they're still able to communicate with each other. So then he can also feel temperature as well as how much pressure his 
um, his hand has on a grip. That's badass. I like this. So another cyborg is Nigel Ackland. He worked as a precious metal smelter until his accident at his workplace involving an industrial blender. Fuck me. This already sounds like a scene from Final Destination. Okay, this led to a severe crush injury of his right forearm. He went under six months of operations and infections before deciding to have a below elbow amputation. That would be a really hard decision to make. Um, I feel like, uh, yeah, how do you just be like, well, eh, fuck it. (laughs) It took him six months. Over the years, he's tried several prosthetic types, but finally he received a B-Bionic 3 hand. I think that's how you say it. With its help, he can independently move to grip even delicate objects. He controls the arm through muscle movements in his remaining forearm. Again, he's still, there's still a connection there. He's still communicating. It's just beyond the body now. So the range of movement is truly extraordinary. He can independently move each of his fingers to grip delicate objects, probably similar to like rose petals, um, pouring liquid into a glass. I mean, you really have to master your pressure if you've got a prosthetic, I'm sure. But here is our next cyborg, Jerry Jalava. The Finnish programmer had a terrible motorcycle accident when he lost his left right finger. Okay, that's your wedding finger. Eh, Whoopsies. It was just a week after he bought his new motorbike that he accidentally hit a deer. Right after it happened, he lit a cigarette when he realized that he's missing the upper half of his finger. Whoops. So then he decided against a traditional prosthetic and would rather go for something uh, useful. A two gigabyte USB port was embedded into his prosthetic. It doesn't upload any information directly into his brain, though. Uh, He is the perfect example, though, of how you don't need to be a robotics mastermind to become a cyborg. So hopefully his two gig (laughs) has gone up to like at least terabyte. You know what I mean? (laughs) He's not getting much on that finger. Cameron Clapp is another cyborg we got here. So until his life-changing accident, these are all people with, you know, severe trauma to the body type accidents. I mean, I'm really relieved and excited that there is something that we can do for people that have these kinds of situations. So up until his life-changing accident, Cameron lived the life of the California teens. He loved to surf and skateboard and hang with his friends. He was 15 when he wandered over to some railroad tracks near their house and passed out after drinking with his brother. But when a train passed he unfortunately lost both of his legs plus an arm oh my gosh can you imagine just being 15 you know you're not great at drinking yet you're just getting started and you get super drunk and pass out and get run over by a fucking train oh my god but he got fitted with a couple of prosthetic legs controlled by his brain with the help of a microprocessor. Since then, he's become to be an athlete and an amputee activist. His advice to struggling patients is to surround yourself with good people, good doctors, therapists, family, and friends, set reachable goals, and work hard to maintain a good attitude. Yeah. 
I can only imagine. I mean, that's just good advice anyway. Surround yourself with all the right people. I mean, people can be dicks sometimes, but you don't want those that aren't out for your best interest. No, all the time. Fuck them. All the time. The ones that are out for your best interest all the time. Surround yourself with them. So next we have Professor Steve Mann. He is the Canadian tech crazy professor designed a headset that is outfitted with a number of small computers and through it he can record and play any video and audio. What? Okay, he was one of the, if not the first cyborgs in the world, kind of close to um, Neil like we first talked about. But man definitely experimented first with wearable computing in high school in the 70s. So he was wearing computers in the 70s yeah he wins (laughs) first place to you at MIT he literally bristled with equipment wearing 80 pounds of computing equipment to class this is awesome man was allegedly also the victim of the world's first cybernetic hate crime in 2012 and he was at mcdonald's restaurant in paris with his family when three different mcdonald's employees attempted to forcibly remove his digital eyeglass from his head see that's what i'm talking about can't do that and if people don't have an understanding of why they can't do that first of all don't fucking touch other people's shit especially if it's attached to them. Uh, Probably some little dickhead teenagers. Uh, But if there's no understanding there, yeah, maybe we need to have more, uh, not like awareness would be a good word of how to interact with these kinds of people. All right, so here we go with Claudia Mitchell. She is the first woman to have a bionic arm. And just as most of all these other people, it was due to an accident. Although she spent four years in the Marine Corps, she did not lose her arm during the military service, but in a motorcycle accident. She lost her left arm completely. She told several newspapers that she used to peel bananas using both feet and one hand before she received her bionic arm. So you got to get creative if you want that banana. (laughs) But just as, you know, the robotic limb comes from the Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago, just like Jesse Sullivan, and it was developed for $3 million. That is a badass arm I'm just guessing she cried when she first peeled a banana one-handed look at her so Stelio Arcadio I am not saying any of that right he's also known as a Stellark I don't know what the fuck that is. He's a performance artist who believes that the human body is obsolete. To prove this, he has had an artificially created ear surgically attached to his left arm. Oh, yeah. I saw a picture of this guy. He has a fucking ear on his arm. (laughs) I'm not kidding. In another show, he hooked up electrodes to his body to allow people to control his muscles through the web. What? That's cool. He has his particular views on how humans should look at technology. Yeah, he thinks that our bodies are obsolete. I mean, how did you get here? Until we can be born into machines, you gotta take care of your body long enough to get to the point where you can become transhuman. See, that's the big thing. There's no just, you can't be born that way. You have to start off. There's gonna be a whole, like, oh, I can see it now. Uh, all kinds of debate on the earliest age that you're 
able and willing to be augmented. I mean, does it have to be 18? Kind of like we do with kids with a lot of things these days, but I mean, what what are they going to say? Oh, you can't mess with it until it's three years old or now, wait, can you mess with it before it's born and give it all its little superhuman powers before it even pops out? This is where (laughs) it's going to get very interesting. I feel like cultural decisions are going to sway this in so many different directions over just the next hundred years, let's say. How many directions can we go in? We can tug, push, and pull. You can do it. You can't do it. Uh, This is what you can do. This is what you can't do. I don't know. I still feel like you should have complete control over your own body. Be able to do whatever you want to it as long as you are doing no harm to others. That's it. I mean, if no one's being harmed, go for it. It's on the table now. Okay, but this cool chick, she sounds super unique. Okay, so Moon Rebus, I think that's how you say it, uh, is a Spanish avant-garde artist and cyborg activist best known for developing and implanting online seismic sensors in her feet that allow her to feel earthquakes through vibrations. That's badass. (laughs) What do you do? Well, I like to podcast what do you do I feel earthquakes through my feet (laughs) you in (laughs) so since 2017 international media has described her as the world's first cyborg woman or the first female cyborg artist she now also is a co-founder of the cyborg foundation that we were talking about earlier with the neil dude and the antenna eye (laughs) the two of them created cyborg foundation that encourages humans to become cyborgs but they won't give us an email so that we know how we gotta call them to find out if we can do it (laughs) i'm gonna find it so rebus grew up in uh catalonia and moved to england at the age of 18 where she studied experimental dance and graduated in choreography uh so her She's all into this movement research, which makes a lot of sense of her being a dancer. And during her studies, she began to explore the possibilities of sensory extensions by applying technology to her body. So seismic sense. (laughs) She, okay, there's a sensor in her that vibrates whenever there's an earthquake in the planet. Anywhere in the planet. She can feel the earthquake. It's crazy. The sensor which is permanently implanted in her feet, vibrates on different levels depending on the intensity of each earthquake and is wirelessly connected to online seismographs, which means she can feel earthquakes from all over the world regardless of where she is. So Moon, you are fucking cool. Moon has been wearing this sensor permanently since March of 2013. And she has used her seismic sense to create dance pieces as well. I mean, that'd be kind of cool. So the performance is where the dancer stands still until an earthquake is felt. The choreography depends on the earthquakes felt during the duration of the performance and the intensity of the dancer's movements depend on the magnitude of each earthquake. What? I love where her mind is going here. If there are no earthquakes during the time of performance, the dancer will not dance. I wish I'm going to try to find if there's video of this. That would be super interesting to see. 
Man, those chick kids cooler. Okay, so kaleidoscope vision is this next information about her. Moon's first sensory experiment when she created and wore a pair of kaleidoscopic glasses for three months. Whoa. It just fucking kaleidoscoping <laughs> for three months. I can barely do that for a few minutes now. The glasses only allowed her to see color, no shape. The lack of shape perception increased not only her sense of color, but also her detection in movement. Any slight change of color in her field of vision indicated that something had moved. During this three-month period, she visited several cities in Europe and met people without ever seeing their faces. They were Kaleida faces. <laughs> That's, I don't know. <laughs> But this chick is so cool. So Speedborg in 2008, Moon created a speedometer glove that allowed her to perceive the exact speed of any movement around her through vibrations on her hand. She wore the glove for several months and was able to sense different speeds depending on the vibrational intervals. I'm trying to envision how this is. So the glove is picking up how fast something is coming at you by how much it vibrates. So you have an understanding of a frequency. So later she transformed the glove into a pair of earrings that vibrated whenever there was a presence around her. This bitch is awesome. <laughs> I love her. I am down with all of this. So Moon traveled around Europe with her Speedborg earrings to find out what the average walking speed of citizens was in different cities. Uh, so the Speed of Europe is a video dance that shows the results of her research. I want to see these. I'm going to look them up. Okay, in 2009, she was able to detect not only the exact speed of any person walking in front of her, but also her own speed. So in 2010, she explored the possibilities of sensing movement behind her by turning the cyborg earrings around. The earrings were developed further by students by adding four extra sensors in order to gain an entire 360 degree perception of movement through vibrations around her head. Okay, so this is what I'm talking about. So if you're able to have these kinds of extrasensory organs, I don't know, I guess I'm calling these technologies organs because someday I feel like they're just going to be extended organs of the body. But so when it gets into the world of sports and entertainment, that is going to change on an entirely different level too. I mean, are we going to be able to mix those beans together? Are we going to have to completely separate the two out? Um, what's going to be allowed in athletics? It will have to be probably either completely natural human athletes or completely all transhuman athletes. I don't feel like there's a lot of in between except during transition time when everybody gets mad because something new is coming around and we'll work the kinks out and separate them. So if this is what it's going to do to athletics, what is it going to do to society, which is directly related? I mean, we're manipulated through all of our big time sports that's going on. And I love sports. I grew up an athlete. I played softball and volleyball. I love it. It's I have that competitive edge in me. And I think that's what a lot of athletes have. It's kind of a rush to be able to push yourself and others and just see what happens. So... This is also going to happen just on a regular basis. What if families have to decide if they're going to accept 
you know, transhumans or natural humans. I mean, I feel like family is the place where everything can be integrated and it's okay. You know, when I, when you get onto an athletic level, there's just so much competition that everybody gets mad. If somebody gets a jump on someone else, it's not fair, but it's not fair. <laughs> and it would not be fair to go up against a transhuman in sports, but it would be awesome and very fair to have them in your family or your friends or the people around you. I mean, there's so much more to existing than competition in sports. There's integration of society and being able to do it. We do it now. We are doing it now. Okay, there's transhumans out there. Most of us have some kind of augmentation because we wear clothes. There's so much stuff that we do that's already beyond what our understanding of being natural human is. We're already one foot in. So as long as we have good intentions and we do no harm, I feel like these are the golden rules And I think that transhumanism can have a really wonderful effect. I feel like it's just like any other technology. You know, it's not the technology. It's the people using it. Uh, You can't stop it from happening. So you need the right people using it. And they need to be the majority so that we can make sure that everybody stays safe. But then what about military? I mean, I'm sure that this is where... All cyborg technologies are going to come out of anyways. They're already doing it. I mean, they've probably been doing it forever. Now we're just figuring out that they've got a few cool gadgets they're going to let us all know about when they probably have all their invisibility cloaks on and are standing behind me right now. (laughs) Who knows? But I'm down, okay? I'm interested. I like to learn more. So let's just continue to encourage for people to do the right thing and to help others and to uplift others and to be a positive influence and be accepting of things that we don't understand until we understand it. I feel like that's probably really good advice. Well, I hope you guys have enjoyed the time that we have spent here together. I know that I feel like I've learned a little bit more about transhumanism. I don't know exactly where I fall on the scale of uh, love it or not, but I'm all for anything that expands my experience on reality. I hope you guys come back so I can share more of my crazy with you on the next Access Elysium podcast.